what's up everybody? Welcome to Boutique Digital Marketing, the show that tells you everything you need to know about business and marketing. I'm Rita Saikali and in today's episode we're going to be talking about global market considerations, we're also going to be talking about customer retention, and finally we have an interview with a very special guest who is Robert Hatfouche. He's joining us from France and he's going to tell us about his two very amazing companies. So you want to enter the global market, you already know about imports and exports, and maybe you just feel ready. Good. But there are some things that may require your considerations. So before venturing out, there needs to be a clear understanding of politics, the culture, the economic environment of that region you are planning to enter. So politics. Amazing how politics finds its way into every sector. No matter how much you try not to play politics, it comes back and it wants to play with you. You probably know that there are laws that govern trades with different countries. As a business importing and exporting globally, you should know these trades, you should know these laws, and you should abide by them. However, there are political considerations um, that are not as obvious as the regulations you find. If you're planning to engage in business with with other countries, you should understand the politics of the regions and not just the policies of the region. For example, is there political instability? The market may look great, but political instability can gravely hinder your business in that area. Is there transparency in transactions? Or are there unforeseen costs that your businesses will have to account for like bribery. Additionally, there are certain countries that discourage foreign investment because they want their products sold. Their laws may allow you to import your products, but that doesn't mean you will find a market. Other countries may require a quota of a national-made product to be sold within the country in conjunction with the entering, um, with the products entering the country. However, you guys, this depends on the sector. So, knowing the ins and outs of the political influence of your sector is imperative for the success of your trade. And it's all the more so if you are planning direct investment in that country. Culture is another element that plays a tremendous role in the success of your business in the global market. It is something that's usually overlooked due to the legalities of the global market process. However, there are cultural aspects that need to be considered for the success of your business. For example, there are societal traditions that are accepted in countries that are not in others. They may not be customs of your country. For example, in some Asian countries, when giving someone a business card, it's customary to hold that business card with both hands and with the right side up. Otherwise, it would be considered disrespectful. And obviously, it would follow that if you're seen as disrespectful, then your business will mostly, most likely not have a great success in that area, and you probably will find it difficult to find partners for your business. In this case, we can see how knowing the culture can impact the business. It is important to know the cultural customs like business card scenario for the sake of business partnership. But it is also important to know cultural customs for the sake of understanding the customer needs. Let's take European countries as an example. 
Most European countries tend to celebrate Christmas not just as a religious celebration, but also a cultural event. During that time, certain items are sold around these countries that will not have a market in countries that do not primarily celebrate the birth of Christ. So, being aware of the importance and of the need created by such a cultural event, you can then tailor your production to fulfill that need and focus on these countries at times versus other countries that will not have the same need. So your focus will be primarily there if your product is being sold at that time and you're aware of this because you are aware of the cultural affiliation between Christmas and that country. In this case, culture doesn't only encompass tradition, but culture really encompasses language, religious beliefs, holidays, and education systems. For example, there are certain products that would not translate well in direct translation. They just send the wrong signals. If you speak Arabic and you have a Netflix account, you'll notice that some of the shows that are in Arabic have a completely different title in English than they do in Arabic. This is done so that the viewer is not deterred by an incomprehensible title or so the wrong idea is not conveyed. Netflix, in this case, does so out of understanding that language is a key component to culture and words can make or break the endeavor. Apart from the politics and the culture of the region, it's also important to know the economic environment that surrounds that country you wish to work in. Is there an economic infrastructure? What is the average income in that country? What kind of economic struggles do the people living here face? There are certain countries that are more developed than others. And then we have global markets, and global markets look different in these countries versus countries that are looking for basic needs. So which of these should your business be a part of? Well, it kind of depends on what you're selling. But usually business opportunities are better where there is a well-established economic infrastructure. By that I mean the country's banking system, their education system, transportation system, communication system. These are systems that we usually take for granted. We don't realize their importance. However, if these systems are well established in the country, then business in that country would become easier. This is because each of these systems in influences in some way or another how we carry out business in that country. For example, with a good transportation system, commodities are easily transferred from one location to another. So, trades are not just about regulations and law, but also what can we do after the products have entered that market? Why should you bother with these considerations? There are benefits of creating companies that grow beyond borders. When we talk about examples of multinational corporations, we tend to think maybe of giants like Coca-Cola, like Walmart, like Pepsi. And to many of us, that seems like something out of reach. And if I were to speak honestly with you, although we all hope that our businesses will reach those heights, that's not always a reality. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for growth. All these companies started one step at a time and worked extremely hard to get where they are today. And so can you. Don't let the idea of entering the global market 
deter you out of fear. Learn the stuff. Learn what you need to know. And that should help facilitate your entrance into that market and your maintenance in that market as well. So that brings us to the end of our first segment. Let's talk now a little bit more about customer retention. So what is customer retention? You basically want your customers to come back, right? And really, it's wonderful when businesses make a sale. But sometimes these customers are simply passerbys. They walk through the door once and really they never to return. And although businesses are generally grateful for that one-time sale, it's much better when customers engage with the business more than once. Businesses want these customers to become repeat customers. And to do so, they must have a good strategy for customer retention. In fact, according to research conducted by Frederick Richold of Brain and Company, depending on the industry, a 5% increase in customer retention can translate to about 25 to 95% in profit. And it is a lot cheaper than finding new customers. The key here is to identify customers that are long-lasting. But again, this is we're talking about a simple 5% increase in customer retention to at a minimum of 25% of increase in profit. I don't know about you, but that to me is worth something. So how is this typically done? According to Jill Avery, a Harvard senior lecturer, in an interview with a Harvard uh, with one of the Harvard Business Reviews, she states that if I'm interested in keeping customers, I'm interested in understanding how many leave and the underlying reason why they are ending their relationship with me. I really have to understand what's going on that is causing these customers to leave. So to keep the customers, the business must understand why they are leaving. Apart from marketing, this is where customer segmentation can be put into good use. The segments that were created should be monitored and reviewed. For example, if we are doing segmentation by age, the question should be how many of my 30 to 35 year old customer base is not returning in the next quarter. By studying the data, the business can have a better understanding of who's leaving and examine why they have left. So now that we have that in the back of our mind, there are some steps that companies can take to aid in customer retention and can provide some really good data as well. The first thing that you want to do is you'd want to create a trusting first impression. So customer retention begins with letting the customer know that you truly care. You don't just see them as a transaction you rather value them as people investing in your business. In that case, it would be wiser to show that appreciation uh, with follow-up material versus than just deal with them as this is your product and there you go. For example, if you sell a software, it may be really wise to have your software open with a tutorial as they do in the Adobe Suite. So if you've ever tried the Adobe Suite, the first time you log in, whether this is Premiere or um, After Effects or so forth, they will give you kind of a little bit of a tutorial just to get you started. Why does that matter? The reason is 
It provides like a cushion for the first time user and it will provide them the help they need to successfully navigate your software. You may also want to create tutorial videos that showcase your products or the things that your customers can do with your products. Again, the reason being is that you will save the customer from having to do the extra work of discovering how your product works because they're not looking for online reviews anymore. You have provided them with everything they need for them to successfully utilize your product. On the other hand, it will also build a relationship of trust, ensuring that your customer can rely on your business when they have questions. They won't look elsewhere for these answers. They know that you, as this great company, can actually provide them with the necessary answers. The second thing that could be done for customer retention is feedback. To know why customers are leaving, you need data. As in any research, there's quantitative and qualitative data, and there's benefit to both. And while collecting data from numbers um, that are increasing and decreasing uh, every month, every quarter, every year, depending on how you're running your numbers, it's important uh, also to collect feedback so that you can hear from people. This is where the qualitative um, questions come into play. These qualitative responses, they actually may help you navigate the numerical portion of the data as well. And a survey is a great way to do that. A suggestion maybe for you is to provide an incentive for people to take that survey. Another great way to get feedback is to maintain scheduled communication with your customer base. For example, if you know that a client hasn't engaged with your brand for a while, you may want to engage with them. Tell them, hey, we're still here, kind of a reminder of who we are. If you've ever signed up for emails from a brand, you will notice that if you haven't purchased from that brand for a while, they will typically email you with a promotion and remind you of the products you've previously purchased from them. They want to engage with you and they want you to engage with them. And that's how you kind of get feedback. And if that customer is completely ignoring your email, you know that maybe you're doing something wrong with the email itself. Maybe you're doing something wrong in other categories, but that can also give you insight. And with that, the third thing that we have is building a customer loyalty program, right? You're receiving emails from some a brand that you signed up for, then that would be a customer loyalty program that you've signed up to be a part of. When you are building your customer loyalty program, think of it as a thank you to the customers for investing in your business. It's not just to keep them coming to your door, it's actually to say thank you. To thank them, you can offer them rewards for things that actually matter to them. And again, they're not just to say that, you know, I want these customers to keep coming as a selfish way, but maybe look at it and look at the perspective from a, I care about you as a person and as a thank you for always buying from me, my company wants to offer you something in return. A customer loyalty program, you guys, does not have to be something elaborate. It could be something as simple as a punch card. 
or maybe something, you know, like a punch card, but a little bit more on the digital side. Maybe discounts on a certain product. You know, if you sign up with us, then you get 20% off on your next purchase. Right? A lot of companies, uh, we see that they do that. Whatever steps you choose to take, it is essential that you know that a customer retention strategy needs to be in place. And that's how you make sure that your customers are always coming back. Now, that brings us to the end of our digital marketing segment of the day. And with that, I want to transition to an amazing interview that I had uh, with a wonderful guest. His name is Robert Harfush, and he is doing without any exaggeration he's doing amazing work and i really am excited to have uh, have him on the show and have you guys be a part of this as well So in this third segment of our show, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest for you. My guest is Robert Hadfouche, and he is originally Lebanese, currently living in France. My good man, Robert, is an engineer, in telecommunication engineering. He's worked um, in major companies for about seven years until he decided that it is time, you guys, to open his own uh, his own companies, and now he currently runs two companies, which is Effiester and Just Help, and we are going to talk about them today. So, Robert, how you doing, man? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Hi, thank everyone. you for joining us. So, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What made you the person you are today? Yes, so, as you said, I'm originally Lebanese. So I've done a big part of my studies in Lebanon before I came to France. So, uh, and I studied in France engineering, so telecom engineering. And uh, I've been here for almost 12, 13 years, I think. So time goes fast. Yes, that it does. All right, so you have a company called Effiester. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, of course. So I started building Fiestas like five years ago. And the main idea and of why I started creating this, this, uh, this uh, startup, it was to help people, uh, in fact, organize uh, the groceries for their house party. So I faced the problem when we go to parties, when we arrive, we have everyone bringing wine. And it's always complicated because we go and buy stuff last minute and always we buy them when the big supermarkets are closed, so we buy them more expensive. So I said, okay, I want to make it online. So people, I can create a link for my house party and people can buy online the product they want to bring to the party. So uh, okay. this is how everything so, started, but now we are doing something completely different. So maybe in the discussion we will get how things evolved. 
uh, yeah, so I'd love to hear how things evolved in your company. But let me try take a little bit of a step back. So the example would be if I'm going to uh, my friend's house and she's having us for dinner, and instead of me saying, okay, what should I bring? I usually bring, you know, a bottle of wine, a bottle of whiskey, whatever. Um, so instead of doing that and having 10 people bring bottles of wines, someone like my friends could go on yesterday and she could put her list and someone could buy something from that list. Is that it? Exactly. So Exactly. So you will go on the supermarket and while buying something for the party or for the dinner, you can see what others have already bought for the party. So if you're coming to buy wine, you will see there's already two bottles of wine. So you'll say, okay, I want to buy the cheese. So each one of the, of the guests will buy something with his own budget online and everything will get delivered straight away to, 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 to where the party is taking place. So no one has to go to the supermarket and uh, buy them by himself. So everything happens online and everything gets delivered straight away where the party is taking place. Yeah, very neat. Uh, is there, was there, was it very much received? Like, were there people very much investing in this? And the reason why I ask is because, you know, if in, in the Lebanese society, there's like this hype concept or like, I shouldn't. Um, let someone know what I'm bringing um, ahead of time. Was it received very well in the French culture? Yeah, exactly. So as you're saying, I, I, I was trying it in the French society, not in, the, in Lebanon. So even in France, I tried like five, three years making this work. So trying, making adaptations, adapting the website. But I had for three years, zero clients. So it never worked, in fact. And we learned that after a while, because we've been trying and understanding why people are not using it. And maybe the main reason was is that people, they, they don't know if they're going to the party and they don't want to, to buy something in advance. They just want to buy it last minute because only last minute they decide if they're going or not to the party. So, in fact, it was not well received, this first idea I started with, but this idea evolved and changed because I've been trying it in the school, so where students have a lot of parties and everything. And I noticed that the people started, the students, in fact, particularly, started to use the same service, not to buy groceries for a party, but to buy simply their groceries, their daily groceries. So here I started asking myself, okay, why are they using my app to, to buy groceries, uh, their, their daily groceries instead of going to buy it straight away from Carrefour or someone else? So here were the, the, the actual idea that is working uh, came up to my mind. So I understood that today, if students want to buy online, all websites, they oblige them to buy at least 50 euro of products, mm -hmm. but they don't need each week 50 euro of products. And it's a big budget for a student and they have a small fridge and they don't have a place to put a lot of stuff. And the second reason they don't use other services is that 
they have to pay 10 euro delivery fees. Even if you're buying 50 euro, they have 10 euro delivery fees. So this is why they didn't use the other service. So why they used to use if yesterday? Because they were, they were each time three and four or five of them buying. So each one bought a little, one bought for 10 euros, one bought for 30, one bought for 50, and everyone get delivered in the same time. So this way, they, uh, they, they cancel, you know, they, they won't have delivery fees and they don't have minimum order. So at this point, I understood that there was another need in the market and I changed my idea and I understood. So the main idea to make it work is that everybody should be delivered at the same time. This is why other big companies don't uh, let anyone buy without minimum order and without delivery fees because each one wants to get delivered. One wants to get delivered Mondays, the other one wants to get delivered Wednesdays, the other one wants Saturday. So the service I created is I told all the students, okay, you don't have minimum order, you don't have delivery fees, but I only deliver on Tuesday night. So it was the condition. If they don't want this condition, okay, go buy elsewhere and you have 10 euro delivery fees. So when I did this, everyone started to use my service. And each week, I go once each week to the whole campus. In each campus, I have around 2,000 students. And the main problem is these campuses are far away from the center. So there is no uh, small supermarkets near, near it. So I delivered once a week to each campus, to all the students in the same time. And this is now actually the service that is working. That's wonderful. I do want to backtrack um, just a, a little bit, just to interject and tell the audience something that I also, I went through a similar experience. Obviously, I don't run a grocery business, but part of being an entrepreneur or part of starting your own business or company this is for anyone who's listening your ideas evolve and your concepts change and during that process you find something that um, kind of works you start testing different markets and it may take years like for example for you it took a few maybe three years you were saying uh, for me when I started doing my grammar uh, videos uh, which is a different topic, um, those took a few years as well to kind of start coming together to something. And so I really, really want to, for anyone listening, to, to let you know that this is part of the process, that having something not work does not mean you are failing. It just means that you have an idea that needs to be fixed, that needs to be tailored. That's it. Sorry. So I, I just wanted to make that clear point before you continue talking. But I talked a little bit about what I learned um, in kind of my process of evolving my product. And it's still, you know, in the works. What did you learn from this process? Yeah, so I had a really particular process. Uh, so all, all the time people tell you if you're been working uh, for two years already on your startup and on your idea and it's not working 
So you should stop. So you should stop, you should change, you have to I two years already, it's a lot. So for me, it took three, three years, in fact. So I think the only advice I can give to everyone is like, if you feel there's something interesting in what you're doing, and you feel you are making the good changes and you are going forward, you should not stop just because everybody says you should stop. So, yeah, this is the advice, uh, advice I can give. And uh, I'm a good example of someone who tried three years doing something before he managed to a real uh, need on the market. Within those three years, was there ever a time where you were very close to giving up? It's really good question. I think I've never stopped believing that I've had good ideas, like, uh, and at some point it should work because everything makes sense. But uh, sometimes I think it's not uh, not the first three years, but after that I had a big contract. So the business wa was working, and uh, after working with a big company for one year, because of their problems, the, the project has to stop again. So I had, mm -hmm. like, kind of have to go back to zero. So at this point, it was kind of difficult. After four years, you know, working, investing yourself and everything. So you ba go back straight away to zero and you have to start building everything again. So, uh, at this point, I don't, I cannot say I was, thinking of quitting but i had i had obligations to pay my rent to pay my stuff so i had maybe the thought came to my mind to go back and find a small job or continue work a little bit and then come back to continue but it didn't happen like this so i had managed to find a new client a new partner and the business went again on is there anything you'd like to add about FES before I move on to your second company? Uh, actually, this is the same because I think the transition comes here. So it's the idea of Yester and the technology I built for Yester became the reason I created the second company. So the people might think I have two companies doing two, two different stuff. But in fact, behind that, I have a unique uh, technology. And I'm using the same technology for both companies. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered after working four to five years on the Fiesta is, my, uh, is that my technology can be used by other big companies to help them solve some problems in e-commerce. So now this, I'm going forward and maybe proposing this technology to other companies so they can use it and benefit from it. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is how I will end the, the talk about Ifyester and comes the transition on Just Help. And I will explain a little bit later the link between the both of them. Sounds great. And uh, just a little bit before we start talking about Just Help, I want to tell you that when I ran into this company where I was told about this company, uh, it really has an amazing mission. And 
uh, to many, it may seem like you can't combine business and, you know, a humanitarian mission. Uh, but this does it. And this company really shows you that you can be humanitarian. You can be kind. You can be loving to others and helping others while running a business. It's not, um, it's not an either or, uh, ordeal. So with that, tell us a little bit more about just help. Okay. So mainly just help, uh, I will tell you how I lived and how I got the idea. So I think all of you and the uh, other people who are listening to, to us has already seen food drives in front of supermarkets. So I mean a charity standing in front of the supermarket telling you when you're getting in, hey, please, can you buy us some rice? Uh, to help people, can you buy us some uh, milk? And so people go inside the supermarket, they buy their stuff, and they add two, uh, two, two rice, for example. And when they go out, they give it to the charity and they go home. So I used to do that a lot in Lebanon, uh, in front of supermarkets to help charities. And I understood all the problems a charity faces doing that. People don't see that, but in fact, charity has a lot of um, difficulties to have a lot of uh, volunteers uh, during these days to go in front of supermarkets. Uh, another problem, in the end, a lot of people bring rice. So you have a lot of rice, but you're missing the milk. You're missing, like, uh, uh, toothpaste. You're missing stuff people don't think to buy them. Uh, and they face, as well, the logistic part. So they need always a car to come and pick up all the groceries from in front of different supermarkets. So all that is expensive and it's complicated. And uh, I had on the other part a technology that told me, okay, why don't I use this technology I have to digitalize the food drives? So why don't I do what charities do in front of supermarkets, but online? So here came the idea. And the fact that I had the technology that is already kind of developed and just needs some adaptations, I told to my, I told myself, okay, let's start doing it. I should start doing it. So I created this platform, in fact, that, that helps charities do online food drives. And the, the interesting part of it is today all charities, when they ask help, when they do fundraising online, they always ask people to give them money. So it's important, the money, of course. But the donor, when he gives them money, okay, they, they give 100 euro, 200 euro, but he doesn't really feel what he gave. He doesn't know what he, what, how this money was, was used to help someone in need. So on just help, it's kind of different because when the donor goes on the platform to go to give a donation for a charity, he sees what his charity needs and he chooses what he gives her. So he chose to buy for her a, a pack of rice and uh, and a bottle of milk and the food for kids. So he, he feels he lives the donation in a different way. And of course, in the end, it's the same. He's going to pay money. But he knows what he 
what this money was used for. So we know we, with this money we bought food for kids. And after that, we, we, we make him live all the, the donation uh, process. That means he will receive pictures and video when uh, these products are delivered to the charity. He will uh, receive pictures maybe of the day of the distribution when this charity goes and gives uh, food boxes to families. So he, he, he lives and he always gets information about how everything is going on. And uh, so, yeah, I think the big innovation we did on this is, is we made it possible to make a donation in kind online. Um, if people want to donate or if people want to help, where should they go? How do they do this? Yes. So mainly uh, the, what we do in Just Help is we made this technology available and free for all charities. So any charity who wants to make a, a food drive online comes to us. She tells us, okay, I want to do a, a food drive for Christmas, for example, and we are aiming to help 200 families who need help. So we need 200 pack of uh, rice, we need 100 pack of pasta and everything. So we create this food drive online. And then it's really the job of the charity to, to spread the word and to say, hey, people, we are making a, a food drive to help people, uh, to help 200 families. So this is how mainly people discover the food drive. They receive a message from the charity. The charity spreads the word by email. They spread it on the social media. They send WhatsApps to people. And people on your turn send it to, to their friends. So this is how mainly you discover it. As well, you have the option to go on the website, which is called just-help.org, and you will find on the homepage a lot of charities doing food drives. So if you don't have a charity in mind, you can choose uh, one of them and donate for one of them. But if you have a charity on mind, you can, on the search bar, search her name. And if she's doing a, a food drive, you will find it and you could you can donate for it. And this is amazing. And uh, the majority, I'm on the website, the majority of the charities that I see are Lebanese charities. Yes, so our Just Help startup is really young. So we started the charity in France, the, the sorry, the startup in France. And, uh, and in the meanwhile, you know, Lebanon had the, the economic crisis. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the difference between Lebanon and France, France has a lot of ways to, to do fundraising, financial fundraising. We have a lot of companies maybe on, the same field, not doing the same as just help. But the, the government the, the, is there to help. The government is there to help. Our Lebanese government, unfortunately. Exactly. exactly. And the government here is uh, helping. So the need is not as urgent as Lebanon. So this is why we thought, okay, people, Lebanon needs help. So, and we have the platform they need. And with a good model and with a good processes. So let's go and implement the company as well in Lebanon. So when we did that, we had like in, like in two months, 
over maybe uh, 60 to 100 charity already contacting us because they need help and we starting helping them like like two two months ago and we all already already helped them raise over 200k uh, of dollars uh, in 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 uh, in groceries and and these are groceries that are bought from Lebanon i saw that it, they were in liras so uh, they're not bought in france and then exported to lebanon right Yes, of course. So you have to know that uh, we have an entity in Lebanon of the company. So we we work with uh, local suppliers. So we always try to find the best supplier with the best prices. And uh, one part we didn't we didn't talk about it a lot is the transparency part. So just help it shows not to make any margin on the product prices. So if we buy it for one dollar, uh, we will put it on the platform for one dollar. So we tell the the donor that we don't make benefits of the products, and this is make make makes sure that we always are fighting to have the best prices, and we are not like uh, choosing the the supplier ourselves. We don't have like an an interest in choosing the supplier. So. How, the way we we make money to make our company work because we don't as well the the, the charity pay for it. It's it's this donor who decides only if he wishes to like leave maybe a two two dollar or three dollar for us. So he will okay. see the price of all the products that you chose to to, to buy for twenty dollars product, and we ask you if you want to add two dollars. Uh, to help us as just help. So the donor chooses to add or not to add because he knows we don't make uh, benefit on the product and we don't make the charity pay. I love it, and I know for what it's worth, I promise you that I will help you promote this as much as I can anywhere Thank on all you. my platforms. Um, I I did want to ask something on the technical side. So I'm let's say on on the website and it has I would like to donate. Up to and then it has it in liras. Is there a conversion? Is like yes, a, of course. Like so an online today, converter. To, to, today we are a small startup, so for now it's only uh, you can only see it on lira lira. So in Lebanese pound, uh, soon you will be able to see the equivalent in dollar or in euro. But anyway, in the in the actual scenario now, you can add the product, and when you Get to the final step. You can choose to pay in dollar instead to instead of paying on lira. So you will have the amount in dollar, and you will know how much you are paying. It would be exactly in dollar what you will be paying. So yeah, you will have the, the info in the last step. Now we are working to, for you to have the info on the whole process from the beginning to the end. Well, it's really just—it's mind blowing. It's really just extremely kind, uh, always around. I did want to—I um, did want to leave you with this, or I did want to open the platform. If you have any final remarks before we close our um, uh, our interview today. Yeah, so maybe I will end it with what you were saying. 
that we can always find a way with our companies, with our technologies, maybe always to, to consecrate some time to do something good uh, instead of not, you know, not always thinking about companies and making money. So this is why my was my small project saying, okay, even I, if I work hard and even it doesn't work and even if I, I will never regret working on it. So it's always, you'll always be happy because you have helped someone who is in need. So it's always, uh, how, how, how can I say it? It's always benefit and it's always good for yourself working on non-profit projects and working on projects that aiming to, to help people. So yeah, maybe this is my conclusion of, uh, for, for I, I agree a hundred percent. And there are different ways of helping. I know someone once told me a story of this manicurist that, you know, after her manicuring job, she would go to the elderly and do their nails. And it's not, it seems like it's nothing, but it did make those elderly women feel like they are valued and they are loved. So whatever your trade is, whatever the trade of the listener is, there's always a way to help. Help doesn't always come from money. Help actually comes from mercy. And um, this is not my Catholic show, but I'm going to tell you every time you think of mercy, look at the cross and you realize that that's how mercy looks like. And that's what you should be doing. Uh, so thank you so much, Robert, for joining me today. It was honestly a pleasure having you for those of you guys who have any questions for us you can always contact us at 909-333-5116 or you could email me at info at boutique digital marketing.com and i am signing off today and i will be with you next week have a great rest of your day 